Good morning, church. I'm Tim Shaney. I'm the student pastor, and they let me out of the basement. And I, I am excited to be with you this morning as we go through our Christmas series, week three of Merry Crisis. Uh, but before we dive in, I, I want to share something with you, an opportunity that we have today that I'm really excited about. Uh, for some, this season is, is merry, and for others, um, this season can highlight crisis. So what if this holiday season we pers personified Christ to others and met them in their crisis? Today, we're going to do something special, something kind of small that can have huge repercussions, not only for our community, but also for how you and I view others in crisis. Uh, right now, right below me, Literally, right below me, there's a hustle and bustle of activity. Um, as our family ministries, our, um, our MCC kids and MCC students have, are coming together, joint forces uh, with the mission team to create blessing bags. And if you've spent any time in Henry County traffic, and that means if you've spent any time in Henry County, then you have, right? Um, navigating interstate on, on and off ramps or shopping centers, Walmart, then, then you've encountered people in need in crisis, asking for help. Oftentimes, passing people in need uh, creates a, our own mini-crisis, right? Well, do I stop and help? What do I do? Do I give them money? Do I not give them money? Do I, do I run into Burger King and grab them, uh, you know, get, grab them some food? Do I just avoid eye contact altogether and just keep driving and hope that my kid in the back seat didn't completely see me ignore someone in need, right? Um, well, crisis solved. Our kids and teens right now are putting together gallon-sized bags full of food, hygiene products, hats, gloves, other essential items, including the most essential, uh, Bible, God's Word, um, creating these blessing bags. One for every couple and family here today so that you can place it in your car and then the next time you see someone in need, you're ready to be the hands and feet of Jesus, compassion in, in action. Now, you can pick up a bag on your way out. There'll be to the right of the connect table. And it, but here's what I need you to understand. If you have a kid or, or middle school student in family ministries today, then they will have one for you. So if you've got kids in ministry, don't get one. If you don't have kids or, or high school kids or you know, students, not kids, are in here, um, then you need one. So pick one up, okay? Um, now, here's the deal. The first bag is on us. The next bag is on you. And parents, we've already told your, your, your kids to make sure that your cars are never without a blessing bag, okay, ready to give away. So in other words, don't be a slacker, all right? Um, but let this be an ongoing family mission, not just for the season, but one way to put your family's faith in action. So consider, consider MCC's gift to you for others for, for him. So, Merry Chrysler. I mean, it's Christmas. Merry, Merry Crisis. Okay, with that, I'm going to pray because I think I need it. God, we thank you for who you are. Uh, God, no one needs to hear from me. No one needs to hear another corny joke. Um, but we need, desperately need to hear from you. And I pray that as we go to your word that you would speak in only the ways that you can into our heart. Give us something new or give us something old we've ignored that we may become more like Christ. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen. Mary crisis. Two words that don't seemingly belong together. In fact, we work really, we work overtime, right, to embrace one and avoid the other. But what if, what if the very act of avoiding crisis to pursue merriment is the exact thing that unravels our joy, allowing it to slip out of our hands, leading us headlong into crisis? See, look at the two words, Mary, the definition, joyous in disposition or spirit full of cheerfulness. And then crisis, a time of great disagreement, confusion, and suffering. The world says that these two don't exist, don't coexist. Pursue happiness and avoid, suppress, ignore, minimize, run from crisis. And our flesh screams the same. And we feel this during the Christmas season, don't we? Like busyness and the stress of shopping and uh, looking for the perfect gift, decorating, party planning, and then there's calendar planning. You know, that's deciding which parties you want to go to, which ones you have to go to, which ones you won't go to, but you got to find a nice way to say that you won't. Um, and then there's the church stuff, and they can be demanding, right? I mean, after all, it, it is Christmas. We've got to squeeze Jesus in there. You know, we can't just say, no room. You know, that's been done. Um, so and then we've got the financial crisis, right? All the gifts we have to buy for kids, spouses, or spouse, hopefully. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> just throw that one out there. Um, parents, family, friends, work friends, the friends that you don't really like but will buy you something, friends. You know, and ignoring this crisis, this financial crisis, only just creates a bigger one in January when the bills come in, Right? And then there's a relational crisis, loss during the season. Relational strain becomes more prevalent and proximate during the holidays. And navigating the crisis of firsts, first Christmas without mom, without dad, first Christmas morning without the kids coming home, first Christmas without a spouse, or the first Christmas with a spouse and in-laws. <laughs> See, we push through pain and hurt and stress, hoping for a moment of merriment of Christmas Day, which, if present, is all too often too fleeting. And after all the celebrations, it can feel empty. But this isn't just a seasonal thing, is it? We view crisis, pain, difficulty, and interruption in life, hurdles to be cleared out of the way, if at all possible. And because of it, I think we're in danger of missing the joy that God has gone to great lengths to secure for us. You see, when, when we see crisis as a threat to peace and joy, we find ourselves circumventing the very thing that we really need, that we really want and need. Think about some of the ways that we avoid crisis. We tell a friend, oh, we're good, it's good when we're far from ready to forgive them. We just aren't holding, holding on to a grudge. We're strapping it down and tying it in tight. But we go, yeah, we're good. We know there's a conversation that needs to be had, but we're not going to have it. Or we're jealous of others. When they seem to have all of the Mary and we get all of the crisis, we pity ourselves and we resent them. And then we start to resent God for not rewarding our good behavior. 
Rather than feel the pain, we find ways to ease the pain. Rather than deal with the pain, maybe we escape through mindless binge watching or fixating on hobbies or sports. Or we escape reality through fantasy or in a bottle or through a puff. Great Christmas message, Tim. Thanks a lot, Ebenezer, right? I don't want to focus on crisis. It's Christmas. It's supposed to be about glad tidings, great joy, peace, and silent night. So, Tim, shush it. But that's just it. Joy and peace comes to us through crisis. The Christmas story is riddled with crisis moments. In fact, the gospel message itself is a crisis story. And yet, it's one of joy and of peace. See, crisis is a precursor to peace. It's the journey to joy. James um, says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, f- when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is the steadfastness that we've been talking about all year long as we, as we study the book of Hebrews. What if, what if hidden in crisis is something really worth celebrating? What if the answer we hope for, what if the gift we so desperately want and need is wrapped up in crisis paper and God, like an eager father, for his kid to unwrap the perfect gift, wants us to tear through, to work through crisis, to discover something better than we could ever have hoped for or dreamed of. And that's what we see play out in the Christmas story. It is Joseph and Mary's story. In fact, it wasn't just a Mary crisis, it's a Mary crisis, right? The story of Mary and Joseph is one that we, all, we know all so well, or at least we think we do. But think about the story through the lens of crisis. Every step of the way is crisis. From an unexpected pregnancy, divorce papers, immaculate conception, to angels appearing, visions from God, a 90-mile hike with your pregnant wife, that's crisis for everybody. Um, Death threats from a King Herod, fleeing Egypt in the middle of the night, and let's not forget unannounced party, you know, house guests from a distant country. The Christmas story is crisis after crisis. It was a crisis story, and so, and not so incidentally, also one that God ordained. Today, I want to share a couple game-changing truths about crisis. One we see in Joseph, and another in Mary. There is so much in these stories. There's even a, a four-point message about how Mary responds in crisis that we could learn from. I'm not sharing any of that with you. I leave more meat on the bones. If, if you're hungry, chew on it this week with your small group. Um, but these two things I want to point out. So as we read God's Word together, I want you to imagine that you're in the middle of this crisis. I want you to feel the fear the questions, the hurt, the emotions, and and uncertainty of it all. Let's look at Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, starting at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child in the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to them in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as, as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, let's, uh, let's talk Jewish weddings for a second, because it's a little different than, than American weddings. Um, they were arranged, and often they were entered into by contract. The husband would, <clears throat> would pay two types of dowry. Um, one was to the, the bride's family, for the loss of their daughter. And, uh, and, and the other um, sum of money would be given to the bride to provide um, the bride, in case of the husband's death or divorce, she wouldn't be destitute. And so <clears throat> there was an engagement period that was legally binding. Uh, it was a legally binding marriage minus the ceremony and consummation of the marriage. Okay? Money, you know, money had exchanged hands. And then after... After this engagement, the husband would, at some point, would leave and go prepare their home and prepare a place for them to live. We see this um, foreshadow. This is foreshadowing what Jesus is saying. He's, you know, with the bride, um, him being the groom and the church being the bride. He says, you know, don't you know that my father's house has many rooms? I'm, I'm leaving to go pre- prepare a place for you. Don't you know that I'll come, I'll come get you, you know, I'll come for you. Um, and, he's, and he's referring to the, the wedding there. And so we, we see this. And Joseph now, Joseph is in crisis because he finds out that Mary is pregnant. Maybe he's off away making preparations. We assume that they had a face-to-face, but we're not told they have a face-to-face. He may have never had heard Mary's explanation that there was an angel. But what we do know is that he has decided, he believes that Mary's been unfaithful, and there's, there's this crisis. And there's a crisis because we see it in the text when it says he was a just man and, willing to put, and unwilling to put her to shame. Those two things were kind of working against each other because a righteous man meant you carried out the letter of the law, and the letter of the law in the Old Testament says Mary's gone. Now, they may have not have carried that out because of the Roman authority. They may not have had the death penalty, may not have been on the table, but humiliation was the reputation being destroyed was, <clears throat> but not willing to publish publicly shame her. Well, that's the heart of the law. That's God God's heart behind the law. And so he's weighing his options: divorce Mary, and she's destroyed. Stay with Mary, his reputation is destroyed. And so the so he's he's thinking: okay, well, divorce is really the only only option here, but uh, but I've got to do it the best way possible. And Joseph was seeking to do the right thing before he heard from God. Verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Two words I want to pull out. He considered. He considered. When in crisis, consider the options. Right? Consideration is key in crisis. Any first responder will tell you one of the first things to do when an emergency situation is don't panic, right? But it's natural to become stupid in crisis and to forget training 
It's natural to think only of yourself in crisis. It's natural to react. The amygdala, fear center of the brain, primal instincts, self-preservation kicks in. <coughs> That's natural. But Joseph considered. It wasn't an emotional response. It wasn't a legal it wasn't a legalistic response. Think through the issue the way that God would. Consider, think, pray. Have you ever did you ever stop to wonder why God chose Joseph? Joseph chose faith over fear. And Joseph gave God time and he gave him space in his heart to answer. And God revealed himself to Joseph as he was considering. See, I think often we, we are so quick to act that, that we miss God's leading. And I think we're quick to act for two reasons, uh, mainly. We act out of the flesh, out of emotion, out of, out of anger, out of hurt. Or we act quickly because we think we know it all, already. We, we think we already understand God's will. That's what I'm going to do. And we will find book, chapter, verse to back up what we want to believe. But Joseph considered. Then the response came, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So God reveals his plan to Joseph. And guess what? It's a third option. An option that Joseph hadn't really considered. Joseph didn't really consider actually marrying Mary, someone that he thought was unfaithful, carrying someone else's child. Uh, but that's what God does, right? Often God gives us the option that we didn't even consider. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So Joseph considered his options, and then he concluded that obedience was his only option. He turned his righteous carpenter plans in for a divine blueprint. Can you? Will you trade your considerations for a divine plan? His divine plan for you regardless of what the cost and the fallout might be? See, when in crisis, sure, consider the options. But obedience is the only option. Now let's look at three things that Jesus did, uh, Joseph did, out of obedience. He took his wife. He married Mary. Pleasing God often starts with disappointing people. See, if you're not ready to be criticized, criticized for obedience to God, maybe you're not ready to be used by God. Regardless of how many people this would disappoint, upset, or even offend, Joseph obeyed. How many times have you not obeyed God because others wouldn't like it? It's hard. Second thing, he took his wife, but knew or not until she had given birth to a son. This means what you think it means. Joseph controlled his sexual desires to not interfere with God's plans. I'm just going to let that one sit right there for a minute. Sometimes we create our own crisis by giving in to our own desires. 
And if you're looking for an application point here, well, that's probably between you and God. But I'll, I'll say this. How often do we let what we want override what God wants? We will justify it and make it sound like we're doing the right thing. But the truth is, if the right thing to do often lines up, it always lines up with what I want to do, well, maybe it's time to do some real considering. Obedience chooses God's desires over our desires. And the third, third action we see Joseph take in obedience is he called his name Jesus. Obedience doesn't glorify God if we put our name on it. Joseph understood that. He was submitting himself to God's plan. This is God's son. This boy belongs to God. He wasn't going to carry on the family name. And then we also see it by Joseph naming Jesus. By naming him, he was taking him as his son, fully embracing the mission that God has entrusted to him, regardless of how others would see it. See, true obedience doesn't boast, look what I did. But we trust in what God will do with it, with our obedience. So here's the truth from Joseph. When in crisis, obedience is the only option. Our concern isn't to be, how do I get out of this crisis? But how to be faithful in the crisis. Look for what God has for you in it. After all, if God is in this, it means he has chosen us for his purposes, which now leads us to Mary's story. You find it in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we'll pick it up. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come, on, come upon you and the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be, will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was conceived, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of, of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the Lord's servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So, angel shows up in Mary's room. And the text doesn't say Mary was troubled with the fact that this supernatural being is like right in her room. That's enough to make me troubled and do some other things. And um, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not in my notes. Um, But what was she troubled at? She was troubled by his words. She was more troubled by the message of the angel than the angel. What does he mean, favored one? The Lord is with me. See, I think she understood something about being chosen that we miss. 
See, when we think of chosen or like the favored, you know, being favored, we think like, I'm the favorite kid, nah, nah, nah. you know, life is good. We think of hashtag, you know, blessings, uh, hashtag blessed, blessings, peace, pr- prosperity, right? Um, we're thinking favored is, is blessed and, and all this stuff, but favored doesn't always equal fun. It means more responsibility. Your favorite means you're chosen to do something, something big, something important, something hard. Like, you know, the kicker being chosen off the sideline to kick the game-winning or game-losing field goal, right, from 50 yards out. Yeah, it's great that I get this opportunity, but I've got this opportunity. I've got everything riding on me. And, and this is so much bigger than a football game. Mary's crisis started the moment she realized she was chosen. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel is reassuring her. Being favored in the difficulties and challenges that come with it. Not to be feared. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will, be, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Here it is. The solution to the crisis. The moment all Israel had been hoping for. Mary is now told that she will be the vessel through whom the, the Messiah will enter the world. Now understand that the announcement of the coming Prince of Peace is is a moment of crisis for Mary. And we see this. We see this in her answer, right? And Mary says to the angel, how will this be? How can this be since I'm a virgin? See the crisis? Mary's like, "Um, it's a problem. (laughs) I I know I'm young and I may not have all life's mysteries figured out, but uh, I understand how this one's supposed to go. And this ain't how it's supposed to go. Have you ever asked that? Not the whole pregnancy thing, but have you ever asked, how can this be? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And now, Mary's, Mary's crisis has to be ramping up. She got the answer to the big how. That was explained. But all these little hows had to be rapid firing in her brain. Like, how will she tell Joseph? How will he respond? How could he possibly believe her? How will my parents respond? My friends, my town? How will I avoid the death penalty? How am I supposed to be the mother to God Almighty? We sing, Mary, did you know? Yes, and it's freaking me out. (laughs) How can this be? Can you hear her fear and faith combined in this question? And if I were left to guess, this isn't the last time she asked that question. Every time something happened that wasn't as she imagined it would be, raising the Son of the Almighty, how can this be? What? A 90-mile hike? Pregnant? What? What? No, No guest room? How can this be? A manger for the Son of God, for the Messiah? How can this be? They go to the temple on the eighth day to present Jesus and an old man named Simeon. He was promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. 
And he's holding Jesus, baby Jesus, in his arms. And he blesses him. And then he says this in Luke 2, 34 and 35. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the hearts of many, uh, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. This child will bring crisis. This favor of God will lead her own soul to being pierced. How, how will this be? So she would go on to watch Jesus teach rabbis at the age of 12. Panic when she left to go home, and he didn't, and she didn't know it. She watched Jesus turn water into wine. Feed the multitude, heal the sick, give sight to the blind, hope to the outcast, be doubted by his own brothers, be interrogated by the Pharisees, be brought before the Romans. The Messiah, the King of the Jews, her son, the son, the one who was to rule forever on the throne of David. Now, she stands at the foot of the cross and watches. A sword just doesn't pierce her soul. It pierces the side of the one who was to bring life. The king whose reign would have no end. Now blood and water flow, proving that he's now dead. How can this be? How can this be? You've been here. When all you can see is the crisis. How can this be? When, the f- when, you're, when you feel the pain pierce into your heart. When you've done everything to work things out, but the divorce papers stare back at you. How can this be? When the job you sacrificed so much for so many years, they tell you you're fired. And you wonder how to provide for your family. How, how can this be? When the one you've dated all through high school says, it's over. How can this be? When a seat at the dinner table sits empty, how can this be? When you watch your grown child spit on the faith that you hold dear, how can this be? When the freshly painted nursery has everything in it, except for a child, How can this be? I remember when I asked God that question. From the moment we were married, Jen was ready to start a family. But we considered our options, and I decided that we wouldn't make those that kind of decisions on our honeymoon. Um, (laughs) But a bit later, uh, we were ready. And and when we were ready, we discovered that insurance wasn't ready. They're going to make us wait even longer. And so we waited. And then, and then it happened. The test was positive. And we set up a doctor's appointment, and the doctor confirmed we were, we were going to start a family. We were going to have a baby. And we were so excited. We shared it with family. We shared it with close friends and started thinking of names, going through all the baby books, looking for names. Two weeks, two weeks later, um, I hear her call me from the back bedroom. And husbands, we, we know when there's something in a tone of voice that we know something's not right. And I go in and we rush her to the doctor's office. 
and our fears were confirmed. We we had lost our baby. And due to complications of the miscarriage, and we weren't sure um, that it'd be possible to be pregnant again. And we tried, and time went on, and negative test after negative test after negative test. And then we we were considering our options and going, God, we always thought maybe we would adopt, and maybe our last child. Well, maybe we flip that order, or maybe that's that's what we do. And so we began to pray and um, started looking at international adoption agencies. And a um, picture of a little boy captured our heart. His name was Sergey. Like, maybe, maybe this is what God's doing. So we go through the process. We, we initiate the process and go through all the applications. Yes, Sergey is available. And so we're like, that, that's our boy. And we go through this process and the application and we get a call several weeks later. Um, we're denied. We're too young. We might change our mind and not love the child. Stupid idiots don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Sometime later, a friend of ours who knew our um, heartache uh, through her network, came across a, a young lady, a 15-year-old girl who's unwed, pregnant um, teenager from Kentucky. And she was in, we were in Florida at the time, and she was in town, and um, she had just grown more uncertain and, and with the birth parents that she had, um, she had chosen, and she had, she had decided not to go with them. So we, they set up an interview, and we met her, and it was, it was connection right, right away. And she was like, I, I feel that God wants me, you know, that you, you guys are the parents. And so we're, we're, we're excited, we're, 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 we're praying, you know, uh, and, and it was the day that we were, that evening, um, to go to the lawyer's office to meet her and to draw up the initial paperwork. Um, it was about a month and a half before she was due. And we, there's this little flashing thing next to her phone. And I know, I know that's weird because our phone wasn't in my pocket. It was on the wall, right? Um, and there's this little flashing thing. It was, it was an answering machine. And so students, you can ask your parents what in the world that was. It was but, um, and so I was like, hey, let, let's check this. this. This could be her. Let's check it before you know, maybe the time's changed. And it was her. It was her explaining that she had spent the weekend with the original birth parents and she had changed her mind. And then a few days later, she went into labor and had a baby boy. And we went to the hospital with flowers to pray with her. But to see a baby boy that was not going to be ours. And we walked out of the hospital with empty hands and broken hearts. How can this be? What do you do when the sword pierces your own soul? What do we put our hope in? Do we hope that everything will turn out the way that we want it to? What do we do if it doesn't? What do we do when it doesn't? We do what Mary did. 
Mary's response in verse 38 says, Mary, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We conclude that obedience is the only option because we're his. Our, our identity is in him. He is our hope. He is our peace. He's our joy. He chose us. We are his, his sons, his daughters. No matter the crisis, obedience is the only option for you are chosen. So when the sword pierces our hearts, we hold on to the one whose side was pierced for us. He will make us steadfast, even through our pain. Jen and I didn't understand. We wanted a family so bad, and here for the third time, plans that we thought were from God led to crisis. That voicemail left us numb. What do we do now? What well, we only knew how. We surrendered. We found comfort in the God that, that's with us, especially in crisis. I remember the morning well. We were loading students up for a trip. Jenna told me that she'd meet me at the building because <clears throat> she was going to go take a test. Um, and at this point, we had taken so many tests, I, I wasn't expecting anything. I'm busy handling last-minute details when she comes into the office. And I could tell by the look in her eyes I was going to be a dad. She was two months pregnant. The adoption had fell through two months ago. We named our son Nathaniel, gift from God, because this was God's favor. His grace poured out lavishly on us. And God kept pouring out. A little over a year later, another son. And then another son. And then our baby girl. All within five years. That's a lot of favor. But four, year, four kids under five, that's also a lot of crisis. <laughs> crisis is the perfect opportunity for God to reveal his faithfulness. And almost three months ago, God made us grandparents. Not once, but twice in a matter of a few minutes. Now he's just showing off. <laughs> we want to avoid crisis. But God isn't afraid of it in our lives. It is often the very thing that allows us to see his heart. We need not fear it. He is with us. Emmanuel, nothing is impossible for God. No matter the crisis, obedience is it's the only option for your chosen. God has chosen you to play a significant role in the, with eternal impact in this world, to play a role in his story. Why would we think that challenge, testing, and crisis wouldn't be part of joining together with him to see the impossible happen through our, through our lives? Just look at how Jesus created crisis for the people he encountered. Jesus sees the crowd, and he goes to Philip and says, Hey, Philip, how do you suppose we're going to feed all these people? Now, Philip wasn't in crisis. Philip wasn't thinking about feeding the crowd. Now he was, and, and he's flipping out. Crisis. Jesus picked the one spot on the shores of Lake Gennesaret where he knew a crazy, naked, demon-possessed man would greet them when they landed their boat. Crisis. 
Jesus falls asleep in the boat during a raging storm as the disciples fight for their lives. Crisis. And then he does the impossible. Peace be still. Do you think it was by accident that when Jesus, when, when the disciples were in the middle of the sea in a rough waters that he sent them to, that he, in the middle of the night, he just starts walking by them on water and sends the disciples into full Ghostbuster mode, right? Crisis. And then Peter does the impossible. Or what about when Jesus met the woman at the well alone and confronts her with all her sexual history? Crisis. And then through her, an outcast, an entire village comes to know Jesus. Impossible. Why do you think he chose the Sabbath to do so many healings? What, what do you think he was doing when he, when he was calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs? He was inviting them into crisis. Inviting us to walk in it. To trust him in it. We, we see so clearly in John chapter 9. When Jesus goes to heal a man that was born blind and his disciples asked, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Whose fault is it? Jesus' answer, neither. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God will ordain crisis for us that we would experience our own how can this be moment because it's in these moments we discover that obedience is the only option. It's in those moments when choosing, when choosing faith leads to a steadfast, steadfast faith that's exploding with peace and joy. Understand that Jesus leads us into crisis that we would have the opportunity to see the impossible play out in our lives that we would consider the options and, and conclude obedience. It's the only option. Understanding that God's favor, his sustaining grace rests on us and that crisis is how we discover true joy and experience his lasting peace. It's how he produces steadfast faith in us. One that's confident that regardless how impossible the situation is confident that Jesus is our salvation. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But we're not the only ones to ask, how can this be? Jesus, though he didn't say those exact words, and he wasn't asking out of doubt or unbelief, expressed his pain as he was, as, as he was experiencing crisis. The very crisis for which he was born into this world as he's on the cross with arms spread out to deal with the crisis of sin, the crisis that separated us from the creator, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who, on the cross, don't miss this, on the cross, God with us asks, God, where are you? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The chosen one of God experienced the crisis to end all crises that we would have peace in the midst of our crisis. That we would rejoice that we too get to share in his sufferings. To be made like him. To point others to him. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be called favored ones. 
ones bestowed freely with grace is what the Greek means here. The chosen one embraced our sin crisis, that we would be chosen. Jesus tells his disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you, John 15, 16. And he chose you on purpose, with a purpose. It's time we live like we're chosen. How will you respond? Will you let crisis be the excuse for pulling away from him? Or will you hold steadfast and trust him in it? Or will you maybe for the first time accept his calling and start to wrestle with the fact that he has chosen you and decide to choose him back? As we enter into a time of communion, remember his body pierced and broken for you. His blood that now covers you. What crisis can separate you from that kind of love? I pray that as you reflect on the cross, you ask again, Father, how can this be? But you don't ask in fear. You ask in amazement. How can this be that you love me this much? Even when I've folded under pressure and I haven't cho- I've chosen everything but obedience, you still choose me. You, you call me favored. That you pour out your grace upon grace, first to save and then to keep me. I pray that we always see our own crisis through the lens of the cross and that you would experience the peace that comes only through Christ. No matter the crisis, obedience is the only option for you are chosen. Father, when I'm come face to face with the reality that you have chosen me, I, in amazement, I go, how, how can this be? And how will this be? What will this unfold? Father, we thank you for your grace expressed to us in the cross. But I also, we praise you that, that the tomb is empty. The solution to our pierced hearts is in the resurrection. That you give us life where no life was deserved. You give us hope when there was no hope. You give us peace when we set our heel against you. And you give us joy when we were just chasing happiness. Father, we love you. I pray that you would work in us through our pain, that we would surrender it to you, that we would look to you and remember who we are in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.